ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First thing I got to ask is where'd the title come from? Well, obviously it's a nod to uh, Hammer of the Gods, the infamous Led Zeppelin biography, <laughs> which uh, the three of us no doubt read during the 80s, uh, <laughs> causing our jaws to drop, our heads to spin, and wishing we could, uh, we too could, um, you know. Traveled with them? Yeah. <laughs> Live a night as Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Just, just one night <laughs> just one night <laughs> oh. <sighs> yeah and so that book made an impression on me because it was so epic and it presented uh the the rowdy body side of led zeppelin that had been sort of kept from us you know i, I don't know how much of it is true it, to me it doesn't matter how much it was true if, even if it's fiction it's thrilling it was an, it's an exciting read and it's well written yeah and i wanted to uh sort of tip my hat to that era of music, you know, the seventies going into the, uh, the eighties, so many eighties bands of course were hugely influenced by Led Zeppelin. They were all trying to imitate that band and then sure. oh. take it even further, but it never really worked. Welcome fellow Lushes. Come on in, pull up a bar stool and enjoy some cocktails with dimples and the beard. By now, the world knows what a brilliant singer I am because they've watched our episode with the traveling suitcase and they've seen my thrash metal in action. So, oh, never mind. That, well, no, that is going to be part of it, remember? Because he went, and this is how it happened. And I'm going to edit that clip in to the, so that'll be in the podcast. I uploaded mine to the Google. To the Google? Drive. Cool. Oh I haven't even seen, I haven't even seen myself screaming yet. I haven't watched it. Grace got, we tried to show it to Grace and she got bored before I even got to that part. So <laughs> but she was like, you guys suck. With me singing, she's like, both I'm of done. us singing, yeah. Yeah. She's like, you guys are terrible. Like, Wait a minute. We need to talk. I need to talk with her. Well, you had your chance yesterday. Leah had my chance yesterday. You had your chance yesterday. Well, I didn't know she saw our clip. Oh, she did. Well, she kind of did. I mean, she saw like the first 10 seconds of it and then went, you guys suck. Bye. <laughs> I think she farted and walked away. You suck. You suck. Yeah. Got oh. So? Um, I thought we were brilliant. I don't know. I have to go back and review the footage now. It was like everybody, I think everybody else was just fucked up as I was at that moment. So they were all like, yeah, you're awesome. And then I think everybody was like, no, you were awesome. <laughs> no. Yes, I mean that's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, but it was fun. It was a lot of fucking fun. Thank you, traveling suitcase. It was a lot of fun making my fiftieth birthday bearable. <sighs> you want to open the? Did, did you um? Uh, you know, at, at all, want to say anything about me serenading you a little bit or anything? Oh, or... I mean, don't get fucking needy. Open the tavern and we'll talk. I gotta get I gotta get a little sloshy before I start to get sappy. 
You did. Tampa is now open. I asked. Uh, I, I I said uh, I said to Leah on the way home the next day or someday, whatever, someday this week or whatever. I was like, "Did you have anything? Did you know anything about that?" And she's like, "No." I'm like, "I guess I know who the better friend is, don't I?" <laughs> <laughs> you didn't sing to me, so no clue. Now she sang to me later. If you know what I mean. Into your microphone. <laughs> no uh that was dumb no you uh you you serenaded me with rems this one goes out to the one i love slash the cult firewoman (laughs) (laughs) yep sure it is now i could not figure that out for the life of me every time i started doing the fire it just turned into fire yeah from (laughs) what was it was dumb when i went to look at the lyrics which i i really i mean i knew that verse just the line and then after that, I'm like, oh, he actually is just yelling fire. And I don't know why. I don't know either. But that's that's what he's yelling is fire. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I know. I guess I never thought about it. But you know the song Firewoman. By oh, the I absolutely. Want, yep, yep, yep. I get it. But so, yeah. I knew in my head because I had to learn the lyrics. Yeah, you did a great job learning the lyrics. There's only like six lyrics to this whole song you picked. It. Well, that was the other funny part is I'm like. <laughs> There's literally four verse, four lines to the song, yeah. and they just repeat it. Yeah, and it's a classic, and they are called geniuses for this. It's it's simple in its simplicity. It's beautiful in its simplicity. Well, it's very simplest. Can you open they, the tavern? Oh, you did. I did. Did you say that? I did. Holy shit! I missed it. Welcome back to another episode of Cocktails with Dimples in the Beard, <laughs> Smart Guy Edition. We got a guy who's smart. He's a PhD and a Another creative L, writing, another D, and a he's all got kinds of D's. He's got all the D's. Uh, he does not have double D's. No, that's that's no. You can see those on most of our episodes, though. So, so if you recall, I don't. A couple episodes ago that have been released, it was we are not having any more dudes on this podcast. What are we having on tonight? A dude. <laughs> a dude. I am telling. I'm telling you what, though. A dude. I, let me tell you why we're having this guy on. Because I'm hedging my bet. I, I need. I need. I need something good to happen in my life if I want to retire. If I want to see the world, I'm hedging my bet on this book. I'm putting. I'm blowing up. I'm putting my money down on this book. This is the next Hunger Games. So I want to be. I want to be early. I want to be early entry. Are it? It's not even published yet. I know. I know. It's not out. Look Plot. at that. Doesn't come out for a week. We got a copy. We do, and we've had it for. Months. I had it for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really months, but not for sale or library circulation. Promotional purposes only. Months, huh? It's not even corrected. Months. 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 Yeah, we got that a couple months ago. When I got it, I was like. Months. <laughs> when I got it, I was like, if I read a chapter a day. I'll be able to give it to him with like a month to go. Yep. I didn't read a chapter a day. And then I, but towards hey, the end, I started to read about five chapters a day. <laughs> can I swing by and pick up that book that we're at the end of the weekend? I literally finished it like a day before you picked it up. <laughs> Two days, I think. I thought, well, at least I'll put a pressure on him. I'm not picking it up now, but I'll pick it up tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I don't, I had to whisk through it. Good thing it was, uh, it was it, a good book. Good well, it is, yeah, it is action from the, yeah. fucking page the open opening page to the end of the book it's non-stop so so that helps a dummy brain like me though i did this is what i did to get through it you fall asleep a few times 
not no, off. No, let's not. Let's cr- understand. I fall asleep during any book. Oh, if I'm I not. read it lying in bed. Yeah, I don't. That's not a bad thing. To that's not saying something bad about the book. It's not. But so this is what I did before I started. Is jerked off. Um, for sure, fall asleep. That's true. I mean, even when I'm starting to read on the pot, I'd fall asleep reading a book. When you're starting to jerk off on the pot? Oh, I thought you said when you were jerking off on the pot. I read a book, jerk off, and take a shit at the same time. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, I walked around. I held the book and I walked around. <laughs> so you got your steps in, and you? I, I, I guess if I had if I had a thing, I'd have got my steps in. Yep, that helped. <sighs> and and when I did sit down, it was one of the least dozing offs yeah it's it's like i said it's action-packed i'm excited to talk to him jared keen so we don't we don't do a lot of them with smart people i mean that sounded terrible (laughs) we're gonna apologize to every one of our guests that have ever been on let me apologize first for um what you just said i might have to edit that out (laughs) please don't take it personal. I didn't he mean meant it. he was talking about us. I did, yes, I didn't. I'm just not used to. I'm not. I'm not used to having somebody with a D and like we said, a D in their title, PhD. Yeah, I mean, yes. Actually, the the, the episode. <laughs> wow, I am. I'm flailing right now. Hold on. The episode that's so out, we'll just right now. <laughs> we're not doing that. I'm not cutting this. The episode that's out <laughs> right now is with Victoria Fuller, who is genius. So. Yeah, we've we've had everybody who's been on has been. We have not had a dumb guest yet. We have <laughs> doing anything, any favors. We've had one. <laughs> we've had one. <sighs> Figure it out. Anyways, do us a favor: like, subscribe, share with your friends, leave a comment. Please, please, please call us. Obviously, we're idiots, so call us some idiots. <laughs> one or both but we do not want to keep a smart man waiting smart man so without further ado (laughs) the author of hammer of the dogs Jarrett keen so thank you welcome yeah thank you for joining us um jared keen the author of hammer of the dogs and a professor at university of nevada that's correct i am the comic book professor i teach the graphic (laughs) novel here in las vegas much to the uh, jealousy and uh, irritation of my colleagues. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, we'll get into that in a bit about how, how I, common that is. I got to admit, when when we were contacted about the book and I saw that you did graphic novels, I thought it was a graphic novel. Mm. And then when it showed up, I went, oh, I got to read all this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, I'd love a graphic to... novel in your mind. Yeah, I'd love to produce a graphic novel. I just can't draw and... Um, you know, That's my uh, the people that I want to uh, get involved, they're already working for, you know, real companies, Marvel and DC. It's hard to get them on board mm-hmm. for a little indie project. Yeah. Yeah. Would the goal be someday to turn this into a graphic novel? Well, believe or it or not, it past? I, I prefer to see it as a telenovela on Univision or, uh, you know, Telemundo, <laughs> uh, like a streaming telenovela action. Yeah. Adventure. Nice. Um, I've never seen one of those, and I'd like to see one. Okay. And what okay. better what better project? <laughs> what better person to start it? So first thing I got to ask is, where'd the title come from? Well, obviously, it's a nod to uh, Hammer of the Gods, the infamous Led Zeppelin biography, <laughs> which uh, 
the three of us no doubt read during the 80s uh <laughs> causing our jaws to drop our heads to spin and wishing we could uh we too could um you know traveled with them yeah <laughs> live a night as led zeppelin <laughs> just, just one night <laughs> just one night ah <laughs> oh. <sighs> yeah and so that book made an impression on me because it was so epic and it presented uh, the the rowdy body side of Led Zeppelin that had been sort of kept from us. You know, I, I don't know how much of it is true. It, to me, it doesn't matter how much it was true. If, even if it's fiction, it's thrilling. It was an, it's an exciting read and it's well-written. Yeah. And I wanted to uh, sort of tip my hat to that era of music, you know, the seventies going into the, uh, the 80s. So many eighties bands of course were, hugely influenced by Led Zeppelin. They were all trying to imitate that band and then sure. oh. take it even further, but it never really worked. No, it, it didn't. And they were such pioneers. That's for sure. Yes. I mean, obviously you if you flip through the book, you can, you know that I'm obsessed with Wasp, mm. Alice Cooper, uh, <laughs> Twisted Sister, bands like this. I just, um, I wanted to recapture that rock and roll energy from the eighties, even if a lot of it was, you know, Drek, uh, that analog, no digital effects, no processing, just, you know, put them, put microphones in front of these guys dressed as women and, and let them set them loose. In the <laughs> yeah. And now, was, now, that, now that you say that it's the analog thing, it's kind of a cool juxtaposition between the book takes place a little bit in the future and it's very tech heavy and future tech heavy, but the music is all back to the analog that, days. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, you would think in that you'd have all this upbeat edm kind of music or something but you brought it back to the i, I like that no lash the hero of the of the novel lash hates electronic music because, because it reminds her of her environment and she hates using the drones even though she's very gifted mm -hmm. at, at wielding them as weapons and of course her father uh, the music reminds her of her missing father and uh, that's why she carries around that Walkman and and yeah. blasts those cassette tapes, even as they disintegrate and fall apart on her. Um, <laughs> Which I've had uh, happened to me playing them over and over again back in the day. I mean, it, we we lived, we grew up with such limited technology, and yet for some reason, all of that uh, popular culture was so powerful for us to us. It it, it moved us more than anything we purchase uh, and enjoy now. Um, you know, even the movies from the eighties, you know, this is pre CGI hammer of the dogs is a tribute to that era in storytelling. You know, I'm talking specifically about the great films like Conan, the barbarian red Dawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, legend labyrinth, Tron, Howard, the duck, buckaroo bonsai. <laughs> Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Howard the duck. <laughs> It's it's a in it's the, a grower. It, 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 oh, I I own it and uh, <laughs> and cherish it, but right. not many people do. He owns everything. <laughs> I'm looking at a wall of three thousand plus DVDs back here, so <laughs> it's no surprise he owns Howard the Duck. Absolutely right. not. And well, that's why I wanted to jump into this podcast because I wanted to be with some people that I uh, I can get I can get along with and see the world my way. <laughs> But yeah, it is nice. Like you, uh, I, I, you're right in our age range, and uh, it's it's cool to, like I said, the music is all the music from the book is music I listened to growing up. So that was that was fun. Is the character Dio named after Ronnie James Dio essentially? Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, much different. You know, this is yeah. a a sort of um, you know pudgy Mexican kid who uh, <laughs> who loves Lash and is a fierce uh, warrior in his own right. 
Um, and I just wanted to, you know, pay tribute with these characters to the Goonies, that, you know, band of misfits yeah. doing the best to, uh, exactly to, you know, to save the city. Um, that's what they're trying to do in the Goonies. And um, that's what Lash is doing in her own way. Yeah. By you know using these drones to uh, to fight the warlords who are um, basically on a power trip, and um, you know I think with a book like this, it's just um, a little bit weird because I wrote it for young people, but I layered in all these uh, not Easter eggs, but all these little you know references for um, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials. Yeah. I wanted to sort of put all, everything I knew about manga, anime, and um, you know, World War II comics and, you know, uh, telenovelas and just everything <laughs> that I, you know, roller skating rinks, everything that I loved and cherished, I wanted to like push into this, um, into this book. And because of that, the book kind of almost spins off, you know, almost goes off the rails completely. But I did that intentionally. I wanted it to be uh, an unforgettable experience and more visceral than some other books that have attempted to, uh, you know, have attempted this retro pop culture. Yeah. Approach. What I what you I know. said in the opening before we had you on is, you know, reading it, it's action from page one until page. I don't know what I don't know what the final man because we it's got 200. one of the special copies, but yeah, yeah. all two hundred pages of ours <laughs> are action packed, and it doesn't stop until the last scene. I mean, there's no well, and and it spawns off in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So that's you, you got a lot packed into the two hundred pages. Was that yeah, your well, goal when you started is not to let up? Yes, but I still cut away. It's I think it stands now at 70,000 words. I cut 20,000 words out of the book because oh, wow. I wanted I didn't want there to be any fat, any boring parts. You know, like when you're watching a a classic film like Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> you you sit there and you watch the scene, you're like, oh, this doesn't really work. They could have cut this away, you know. And they did it. They left it in. Yeah. And I just wanted this to be like the perfect 89 minute film. You know, um, I really miss those days. Like the when, 80s. Yeah. Yes. When filmmakers were not scared to just give you 90 minutes of adrenaline. Yeah. Um, Megaforce is a big influence on this, <laughs> on this book. I don't know if you've ever seen that. What is me? I don't know if I know what that is. Do you know what that is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> well, it's funny after we, you know, reading into the book and looking up on you or researching you a little bit, I had just watched this weekend and I can't remember who it is. It was on YouTube and he told his 10 favorite with honorable mentions of fantasy films of the eighties, Yes, you know, Beastmaster and Thrill. what was it? Thaw, Thor. Thrill. What was it? Roll. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and he went through them all and Conan of course was on there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun to listen to that, you know, and then of course, his uh, perception of I love them was a kid. I still love this one or they love it more And that one. I loved, I hate now, or, you know, don't like now sure. because you grow, but you still appreciate that era when they. Just... The other thing is, yeah. The other thing that's great about that era too, is that like all the best um, uh, movies feature women protagonists, you know, like Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connors, Sarah Williams, from you know uh, labyrinth oh, yeah. <laughs> sheena red sonia i mean the uh, supergirl uh, i love these films growing up and i i wanted to create a powerful woman badass protagonist that were that harkened back to that era when characters were allowed to have flaws you know today it's just it's a little 
too much. Like all the women heroes are, they're too perfect and they, they do everything right the first time. And right. I wanted to present a character that, you know, totally messed things up for, you know, she gets captured by the warlord stupidly. Yeah. And then, right. A little know, hothead. Yeah. And does everything with, everything is done with disastrous results. And I wanted her to, the character to learn how to be a leader how to be a champion, how to save the city. And that required her changing, you know, adapting and not, you know, you know, bullheadedly thinking that the world has to adjust to her. It, right. That's, that's, that's not the reality of existence. The reality of existence is either you adapt or you die. And she has to do that. You know, it bothers her. She doesn't want to do it. Right. But in order to save her friends, save, um, you know, her father, save the city, that's what she has to do. And I really wanted to get that, that message across because I'm utterly, grossed uh, grossed out by the you know just embrace yourself philosophy <laughs> be who you really are and that's you know that's crap that never works out yeah. um, always ends up badly if you try to do that in the in the real world you you know what makes us human is our ability to change to transform to mm -hmm. become sometimes somebody else i mean this yeah. is this is what life is really about and i wanted to zero in on that and create this uh unforgettable protagonist who honestly i didn't even write i felt possessed nearly and in, in, oh. during some moments like you know she was telling me what to write yeah it's kind of weird i don't believe in metaphysical stuff when it comes to writing i was always like a journalist just meet deadline you know knock out the, the pages do the word count but with writing this i just felt uh compelled and just um like i was you know just typing what the character wanted me to do yeah well and it's it's and I have it written down here is um when you mentioned Sarah Connors, that's what I thought of when I was reading the book. Yes. Is more, you know, all these people nowadays, the characters, and I've seen comparisons to, you know, Hunger Games and sure. Catnip Catniss and all that stuff. But catnip. as I I did say catnip tonight. <laughs> it's kind of what I feel about it. Um I, I have a sore spot with with the Hunger Games. That's a different story. Um Yeah, I do too. That's why I wrote this book. So Yeah. But I but who I thought of was no, I'm I'm envisioning more of a Sarah Connors, you know, she was thrown into this and she had to, to your point change. So it, it, it came across to me. I mean, think about those character arcs, those, you know, uh, Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, think yeah. about how they begin and how they, how they end up through not just one movie, you know, several movies. Yeah. Ripley's from alien. I know. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. You did. I did. Sometimes I have to explain to him. Yeah. She was on our underwear list. She was. She was on my number yes, one. Yes. She was right. Space underwear. I, I know the scene. Yeah. <laughs> wow. As a little boy, you don't forget it. Yeah. It's, it's right about watch, here. <laughs> watch those characters change in terms, you know, in terms of how they interact with others, their own, you know, their personality, what what they're fighting for. It was it was so amazing mm -hmm. to observe that in the movie theaters, you know, and, and see it unfold those 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 character arcs. And that's what I was. That's what I'm after with hammer of the dogs with lash who um is cut from that that mold but also offers something new you know i i i, I really dug into the ptsd uh, aspect and also this idea of child soldiers you know um this uh having two teenage teenagers in my house and watching them like merge with the machine with the computers the smartphones mm -hmm. the tablets the pcs you know it, it it's uh, it's almost heartbreaking yeah and, in some ways, this is a a reaction to that. You know, I wanted uh, I want young I encourage young people just not to accept technology technology passively. I would like them to actively, you know, grab it, take it apart, 
and and rework it, hack yeah. it, if you will, to their own to suit their own needs and their own uh, you know purposes, their own to protect and and cherish those things that they value. Yeah. So where did the where did the story originally come from? I mean, how did where did the idea come from? Just inspiration from some of those kind of things out there. When... Well, there's two things. The the first is growing up and buying secondhand comics in the uh, used bookstores here nice. in town. And I kept encountering this title called Commandy, the Last Boy on Earth. It's written and drawn by the legendary Jack Kirby, co-creator of the Marvel Universe with hmm. Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And um, it's this dystopian, you know, future shock world where Commandy, the, the young protagonist, is the sole surviving human in the sense that he's the only one who can speak like the... Um, you know, mankind has become like animals and they can't speak and they just um, they just run around and get uh, abused by the animals who are now in control and who are oh. intelligent and who are articulate. So that made, uh, you know, flipping things, flipping the power structure upside down and backwards really made an impression on me. Um, as a kid. And then the second thing was working in the Las Vegas casinos before I was a professor I was writing uh, casino propaganda for the employees, <laughs> the biggest the biggest casino corporation on the planet. And so Las Vegas is a big convention town. Yeah. Rhone tech conventions would gather in places like Mandalay Bay, Caesars Palace. And because um, I worked in the hotel, I had a badge, you know, and I walked around and I would crash these drone tech conventions and inspect the latest, you know, killware and see how you know, higher education, uh, the tech sector, uh, the, you know, military contractors and foreign governments were all, you know, they were all in cahoots in creating this drone verse. And there was this propaganda that was always put in, in, in your face, which is that drones are going to make our lives easier. You know, they're going to make things yeah, safe. Amazon's going to send us packages <laughs> with them. Yeah. <laughs> We've been hearing that for, yeah. for decades now. But it's uh, it's not true that the drone tech is here to uh, kill other people. And it was just a minor extrapolation to, to wonder, well, what if this gets into young people's hands? What's what's going to happen? You're going to have something a million times worse than Columbine, and it's going to be uh, totally horrible. And that uh, was where all of this began. So about 10 years ago, I had the idea. And then, of course, as many people... Uh, as it happened to many people, you know, COVID kind of inspired me to, you know, to get rolling. Yeah. You know, is this yeah. the end of the world? I'm going to write my book. I'm going to finish my book before, uh, <laughs> before I uh, croak from uh, <laughs> something I don't understand. And, so your uh, ideas come to you? Are you envisioning what you're going oh, to yeah. write? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it like a movie, you know. I think I think we've all done that, especially those of us who love pop culture. We we're in the shower or whatever. We see, we see the beats of the film. We see the, yeah. the set pieces. True. I do. And I, yeah. I, I had like 10 of the set pieces, like, dun, 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 dun. and then once I started writing them, I had some momentum and then it was just a matter of, of pushing all the way through till I had like, you know, 25 set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just wanted each set piece to be more out of control, zanier than, than the pre than the preceding one, For which sure. is how you get to uh, uh, a swarm of genetically modified flamingos, you know, <laughs> attacking uh, <laughs> yeah. Lash and her uh, drone bots you know well, i gotta uh, tell you i was just at i was just at a zoo this past weekend i looked at the flamingos a little differently after reading your scene oh, sure. so i was like those, those fuckers could kill us you know they get out we're screwed <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean 
birds are birds are weird but mm -hmm. uh i mean i love them i love flamingos but i thought what would make me not like a flamingo and i, yeah. and I just thought you know g genetic modification uh i'm sure it's here i'm sure they've already got killer flamingos somewhere well and you, you know you so, say you talk about seeing it in a set piece for a movie how i mean how iconic of a scene would that be with this would, this yeah. what do you call a flock of a flock of flamingos? I don't know. Coming I out, use swarm. Swarm, <laughs> swarm of flamingos? Yeah. Coming in. I mean, just the color. Oh, you could do with the color. Oh, yeah. That yeah. would be, it would be would a beautiful, beautiful scene. With with the sunset behind the ruined Luxor, it'd be, <laughs> yeah. it'd, be, uh, it'd be amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I saw this uh, unfolding. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. The flamingo is such an iconic bird for Las Vegas and, you know, because of the hotel and, the, mm -hmm. and everything else. So, um to me, it was just a perfect um, aviary weapon to use against drones. Weapon, nice aviary weapon. At the same <laughs> time, were you there the songs in your head as well? What you oh, yeah. envisioned, and did it? Did they stand true till the to the finished product of the book, or did the songs change throughout? Oh no, no. I mean, I had a I had a playlist of maybe thirty songs, and they were all they were all bangers. They were all amazing, and um, you know, some of them were like deep cuts, maybe like Iron Maiden's Killers like from the from the second record killers the title track um but i, I don't know i just um and I, truth be told i didn't even really enjoy hard rock glam metal from the 80s that i mean i i, I had i listened to a lot of it like motley Crue, but i didn't um i was always kind of like a <laughs> but like, we, have, we have a very very heated debate that goes on between kiss and motley Crue, and who is yeah the better of the two and i'm on the motley Crue side so and i'm on the right side <laughs> Right. Why not both? <laughs> no, I just, uh, to me, like that music is so, it's what the rougher kids listen to. Like I was a little more sensitive. I listened to, um, you know, like uh, Joy Division and like Gothic, you know, music. Sure. So I, I always kept like Poison and stuff like that a, a little bit at arm's length. <laughs> but when I, you know, Lash, as I was saying, didn't, the character didn't want me to listen to that moody crap that I listened to as a teenager. She wanted me to listen to this stuff. That yeah, that's she, definitely not music she would have listened to. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't fight drones listening to, you know, I don't know, Sisters of Mercy or something. The, yeah. the Cure? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you need Motley Crue's... Uh, you do. The battle you know. songs. <laughs> You need uh, live wire or something like that. You do. Oh. I, assume, I assume that'll be in the second book. <laughs> yes. I mean, I would love this first book to sell enough copies. You know, I think I, it only needs to sell like, you know, a few thousand copies for it to make it worth it for the publisher to let me try a second and third volume. And so I'm yeah. hoping to get some good sales and then finish this uh, story because Lash is calling me and to yeah. write it. I'm telling Lash, I'm not going to sit here with, you know, three unpublished novels sitting in my hard drive one at a time you know i've yeah. got i've got to so have a contract you gotta have a little something in the next episode oh yeah i've got it oh yeah there I'll you just it. haven't put it okay yeah she's gonna take the fight to russia to china <laughs> oh. the third book is um on mars you know fighting uh, nice Perfect. On mars. um i don't think that's a spoiler i mean you know it has to go there we yeah, have to, right? eventually i mean we've all seen jeff or john wicks right yeah <laughs> <sighs> Wait, lots of fun poor john wicks and they're still in the exact same spot that's and, bad. never mind that's a bad analogy <laughs> i still watch them i still watch them but i mean i love i prefer action movies that you know grow and people get you know, when you get on the road and you that's why i love red dawn so much because you're it's just so expansive and um i love that kind of 
the sense that the world is growing, you know, like yeah. the world is bigger than the characters. Uh, Conan the Barbarian too is, is that way. And so I, I love that, that aspect. I don't like, you know, movies that all happen in one location. They make me crazy. Mm. Um, uh, I think Quentin Tarantino did a, did a whole movie, Western movie that was like in a cabin and then like mm-hmm. or a bar or something. I was like, uh, yeah. I need to, I need oh. to get, we need to get moving. We need to get rolling. That's, I, I love them both, but I do. Yes. Just two settings, but, but I get the, what you're the saying. Thing, the thing of it is, Tarantino can pull it off because he writes such fantastic dialogue. Exactly. That, yeah, yeah the, the acting of, of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost think Tarantino is a, sort of like a, a playwright, like a stage drama, you know, yeah. a dialogue writer. I those, you know, I, I'd love to see a stage production of, uh, Reservoir Dogs. I think, mm. I think oh. it could be done. <laughs> it could be done. Me too. It could be done, and that would be <laughs> amazing too. I'd admire would something I... like that. I but... gotta say, it would be a real shame if we don't get more version. <laughs> I mean, if this story doesn't continue. So I, I really hope this sells well because I'm I'm excited to read the next part. So, you know, for a for an artist for a book like this, it has to be someone who's um, I think almost from that from the our era. You know, like. Um, Ron Garney or someone, someone who's, um, who's done the big books, but I can also work in this, you know, military, what do you, what do you want to call it? Military sci-fi um, genre. I think that would be uh, really amazing. I just don't want to, I don't want uh, to collaborate with someone who's number one, not going to, you know, meet the mm-hmm. deadlines and number two, um, not meet the vision that I've presented. Yeah. Here, so, yeah. Well, that, that goes to show. So if they ever want to, make it into a movie how willing are you to sell off the let because they are they're going to change it they're going to want to change stuff take things out yeah. but were you would you be like go ahead take it do your do your vision or would you stick to i want to be involved and keep my characters what i am i think you understand what i mean when i say this either it has to be someone who's just like a a, a refined and uh reputable filmmaker of, of maybe of the highest caliber or just this trashy uh <laughs> Z grade, yes. You know? <laughs> yes, like straight to crackle, uh, <laughs> straight to, <laughs> you know, filmmaker. Like, I don't want anything in between, you know, it either has to be like a, a like a classy, fantastic epic, or just or just back some... to the 80s, no CGI, yeah. Um, exactly. That, and I don't know if anyone would go along with that because that really would be a stipulation. Like, Tom Savini would have to oversee F, the special effects, like, if it, perfect. If Tom yes. Savini isn't doing it, then I don't, you know, is it doing the special effects and it's off, you know, or, or George someone... Miller directing it. Yeah, exactly. Touch of the road warrior on it would be, would be nice. Exactly. I mean, he's a little and, old, but he's well, Mad Max Fury Road is only six years, seven years old. I can't Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I'm talking the original Mad Max, the road warrior, oh, yeah. which is, you know, I'm, I'm visioning road warrior. Yeah. Touches to this one. movie. Yeah. So yeah, that one had a huge uh, impact. You can feel that in every. Uh, there's a, a yes. nod to Road Warrior in that um, RV scene where they're trying to escape the uh, exactly. the mercenaries that are hot on their tail, and um, and everyone's j- drone jamming, and they're just down to you know rifles and and handguns trying to survive. Yeah. Um. So that, that's the sense I got out of it. Yeah. No, I, it's uh. You can you can recognize the movies I'm paying tribute yeah. but I, i'm always taking it and trying i'm trying my best to push it just a little further than than the uh than the original mm-hmm. source you know so that the you're left with this feeling whoa that 
you know, where did that come from? That was wild. Yeah. yeah. That's the goal. And if, uh, if I can do that and make, and take people's breath away for a moment, uh, and, and dazzle them and make them smile, uh, to me, that's the, that's what it's all about. So now do you, um, within your class, do you give your students your, your book? Do you, I'm not going to say ask for their critique, but do you give your students your book? Well, it's funny. I wrote this novel in chapters during a semester uh, of several years ago now. And that's how I started. Like I started every week, you know, 15 week semester, I would bring in like a 2000 word, 3000 word chapter. And uh, I did it as not as a way to like, you know, force them to read my novel, but to show them the practicality, the discipline, the um, the energy that's required to get momentum on a project like this, because, um, you know, creative writing in the um, at the university level is, is so strange because you work on little stories and little poems mm-hmm. and you kind of craft them and you polish them. And, you know, I wanted to get down and dirty with the students to show them this is how you write a novel this is yeah. how you try to make money this is how you try to get published and so i just whipped through like the first 15 chapters of the book with them and what happened during that semester was amazing because guess what they attempted the same thing nice and found success with their work so in other words okay they didn't get uh, a contract uh, with a publisher uh, like mine, but they've self-published, they've kindled their, they've, uh, they've put their work out there on Amazon and they finished the novel that they always wanted. Oh, that's awesome. This isn't just one student. I'm talking like seven or eight out of that class of uh, the initial class of 15. Wow. And the others publish their short fiction or their poems. And so, you know, the, I, I just wanted to light a fire under them. And this is, I felt like it was the way to do it. It felt like it was the right time. It was just, it was just before COVID. So um, we were still meeting in person and, you know, I just yeah. sit and walk into the class and just read the next chapter. And they, you know, they, they'd listen to it. They'd give us some feedback, but it wasn't the point. I wasn't trying right. to get their feedback. I wasn't trying to uh, browbeat them into writing sci-fi or, you know, uh, or anything like that. I was just saying, this is, you know, this is the momentum that you need. And yeah. they joined me in that effort. And it was just um, the most rewarding experience I, I've had as a professor is watching them publish their work. You know, That's awesome. Uh, that does sound Awesome. Class so speaking of the writing process, when you're writing this thing, do you kind of know, like, this is how it starts? This is what roughly how the middle goes? This is the end you have it kind of outlined? Or is this stream of conscious? Does it just kind of keep coming out of you? Well, you know, honestly, it's a little bit of both. Now, not, it's true that I have the set pieces in mind, but how I get there is, you know, often, you know, often changes. And when you write for such a, in, in such a sustained way, your characters will do things that you don't like. Why, 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 why is he or she, they doing this right now? Like what's happening? Yeah. And you just write your way through it. And you're just like, oh, that's why, you know, it's almost like uh, the characters are showing you how to, you know, to do the book, to write the book. And that's very strange. And again, metaphysical, which I don't really believe in, but I don't want to say spiritual, but it's something is happening where the characters, if you've written them hard enough and long enough, they'll start showing you the path. Yeah. You'll be like, no, no, we're supposed to go this way. And they're like, no, no, we're not going (laughs) (laughs) to. In order for us to get there, we have to do this other thing first. And so So I'm like, okay. Has, has the character ever told you I, I'm going this way and you, yeah. the author said, Nope, it's gotta go this way. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've never, because it's unrewarding. If you push a character to a place that they don't 
feel like they, they don't belong that they don't belong in you'll you, you know you, you start to as you're typing and you're as you're writing you start to see the 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 just the the shape of the of the words just the, it just it starts to clang it's like a dissonant note on a guitar a dissonant chord on a guitar you know you sure. don't have it fretted you don't have your hand fretting the, the strings just right um that's what it's it's that's what it's like and so i've just learned to you know if they want to blow this <laughs> blow up this building or they want to fight this guy that's fine let's yeah. let's because uh they know better than uh, than i do and if you overthink it if you get too up in your head and clinical then you get a really boring postmodern you know or or formulaic stories that nobody cares about wants to read and um I, I don't want to do that. There's enough boring books out there. I want to, I want to do stuff that's uh, different and that's character driven, but also, you know, action packed. So it, it seems like the, the influence of graphic novels has kind of hit, you know, yep. It's not a graphic novel, but it is that yes. short and sweet. And was there a influence for Lush? Was yes. that partially you or partially a bunch of people put together or what? No, I mean, here it's those Jack Kirby comics. He is all about kinetic action in the Marvel universe before it was called that. You know, he created all these concepts and characters, and Lash is she's in that lineage of those characters that Jack Kirby created, which is why the book oh. is dedicated to Jack Kirby. You know, I understand, yes, he's a, gra- a graphic novelist, he's a comic book artist, but it, it's not just visually what he did it's in terms of storytelling i mean he's he had a headlong momentum that there's never a boring jack kirby book like i've got you know hundreds of them here behind there (laughs) you pick one up you're not going to get bored it's a guaranteed anti-boredom it's a you know it's a boredom it'll cure your boredom if you read a jack kirby comic and that's what i wanted to do with hammer of the dogs and with lash because lash is in some ways if Commandy is the last boy on earth, Lash is the last girl on earth. Okay. You know, and she harkens back to this thing that we've kind of lost track of too. You know, the tomboy, the, mm-hmm. the girl that was tough and that could outshoot you, outfight you, outfish you, outdo every, you know, just uh, take you on a ride. And, um, you know, I, I miss that, that, that person, those, those women, like I don't see them anymore. Uh, now everything's all, complicated and political and and you know social media massage and and I, I wanted to, to find this person again and I had to go writing to mm, yeah yeah reconnect. and I and I and, and I should have explained it I guess more like um anybody in your life that you put into this character oh yeah you, kids I grew knew. up with kids I oh, grew up okay with, now specific uh, classmates you know okay from middle school high school and who I lost track of, you know, because when I went to college, it changes your whole social uh, uh, environment. Your, your social connections become, you know, they're, they're changed forever because then you're hanging out with people who get degrees and then they go on, they want to get a master's degree and then they want to get a PhD. And then, you know, it just, uh, you, you find yourself out of touch. Yeah. Well, and let's touch on that PhD yes. <laughs> in creative writing. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Of- <laughs> a doctor of writing. Now, I, I mean, I like to claim myself as a doctor of love, but that I, I haven't gone to college for. So as I was saying to him, I'm like, is it oh, is this doctor. common to be to get a PhD in writing? 
or it, or might, it might be too common. I mean, here's the oh. thing: in the '90s, there were like ten creative writing uh, PhD programs in the country, like in the '90s, which you know was not a lot. But um, I think today there's like you know nearly a hundred. Okay, so it's, it's just really uh, you know metastasized and gotten out of control, and I. Um, I'm not sure it's it's made anything better in terms of uh, writing or books. Um, you know, it worked for me because I could just hang out in school, and you know, I hung out long enough. They gave me a, a, a PhD because <laughs> they couldn't get rid of me. Because uh, you know, I just love reading and I love writing. So the library, a university library, is the perfect place for me to. Hmm. Down. Granted, I was you know doing strange things like interlibrary loaning you know, European adult comics from, you know, uh, facilities in France and stuff like that. But, you know, <laughs> why not? Let's, uh, let's, let's, try, <laughs> let's try it out. Why, exactly. Why not? Yeah, right. Right. You never know. You never know what, what might inspire you. <laughs> so you, you, you have de- definitely touched on the comic books. Was there book authors that you um, clung to as a child? As a kid, I didn't really, I never really read a book until I got into uh college you know wow wow. (laughs) and then said my life yeah wow that's amazing well i always associated books with like broccoli like they were very cruciferous they were supposed to make you better and make you Mm -hmm. think about the world and and get you um on board with some kind of weird agenda and i didn't like it you know um even books who's you know with books that offered an ideology that i more or less agreed with uh they they always seemed a little bit didactic and they became less fun the older i got um and then to the point where you know if you're you're reading something like uh james joyce's ulysses you're like why this is (laughs) no story here what am (laughs) am i doing why am i studying this um definition of didactic (laughs) fuck that (laughs) hyper-instructive meant to, you know, generate more, you know, uh, it's moral so, betterment. It's great to be sitting with a writer because I just read the word cruciferous yeah. within the past week or two. And I had no idea, you know, when you see a word and you have no idea how to read it. So you just kind of, it sounds a little bit like this and you just scan over it. Now yeah. I know how to say it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it was made, it was, it was like fiber or something. It's, it's what the, the book's, tasted like uh and then you know when you when i got into college i I started to get into things that were you know different like ray carver for example um writers who were attempting to do something a little bit different but uh science fiction fantasy has kind of always been my Mm go-to um in terms of of writers but i like all the greats you know cormac mccarthy uh if you've read uh or seen the movie no country for old men oh yeah great action flick and um but you know well, I love- there's been a big discussion about old country for men yeah that it's um people either get it or don't get it as a masterpiece and they yeah. see the movie they read the book and they say i don't get it and others read it like then you don't get it but it's amazing it's perfect yeah obviously you're a fan of it yes i am how do you how do you explain it to be a perfect i've never read the book obviously i've seen the movie <laughs> obviously i don't read many books so you're one of very few that i've read yeah, um, I, I, mean, I don't think it's a perfect book, but I do think it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's certainly better than his previous novels, which were more uh, difficult. You know, he, he wrote about characters who were impossible to identify with or love. You know, he, he'd write about like, I don't know, child molesters and 
and mm. just, uh, you know, wife beaters and, and really tough people who were, um, you know, they're tough to get along with, tough to understand. He was always difficult that way as a young as a younger writer. And as he got older, he, he kind of embraced the thriller. I don't know if you've read uh, The Road, for instance, or seen the movie The Road, a post-apocalyptic adventure. And I, I, uh, Yes. Um, yeah. Robert Another, Patterson and Guy Pierce, I think, are in the yes. movie. Uh, well, I don't know. Is it? Is it? I can't remember now. Um, no, it's. Uh, I haven't seen the movie. Vito, I've seen the Vito Martis. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's I'm, it. I'm mixing it up with another apocalypse movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so those those books, when he got older, he seemed to uh, embrace genre fiction, and I thought that was very interesting. And those are the books that I I really took to heart and really cherish. Mm. No Country for Old Men, The Road. Um, I love uh stories that i love books that embrace genre but kind of try to do something different with it and don't necessarily stick to the same boring uh formula because we've all read those books you know you see them at used to see them at albertson's or vaughn's or smith the grocery store western you know you pick it up and you're like okay i'm gonna read this and it's gonna satisfy my needs whatever you know you read a western uh i read the western but it doesn't after you're done you're like well, why did I just read that? It was, I don't remember anything about it. It, it read like a million other Westerns. Yeah. Sure. So for me, it's all about um, finding a strong writer like Elmore Leonard, who um, takes that, the, yes, embraces the category of writing, but, but doesn't follow the rules. So. I've read a few of his books. Well, he's, his, that, uh, what is it? Justified is based on one of his stories. One of his, or... one of his stories. Yeah. Oh, and, um, and uh, Jackie Brown's based off of Rum Punch, yes. yeah. Get Shorty, things like yes. that. Yes, yes. And so he's just a fantastic writer. Not great characters, to your point. They're not. Yeah, they're not yeah. heroes. They're just real characters. Yeah, and that's something I've I, I admire about Elmore Leonard, and I I love Charles uh, Williford, a Florida writer, Florida crime writer, hmm. who um, I guess his most famous book is probably Miami Blues with Alec Baldwin and um, uh, sure. Jennifer or Jason Lee, a uh, great film. And um, I just like books that are accessible, but not um, predictable. Okay. Okay. Any new writers that have come out lately that you kind of see that similarity in? Besides yourself? <laughs> I think that answer spoke for itself. All right. So back to the, back to all my, all my favorite authors are dead. So <laughs> <laughs> still searching for a new one but well, i'm, I'm it... kind of like i'm kind of a baby boomer trapped in a gen x body you know i, I like the uh the, the old stuff since so that makes it easy to like you don't have to worry about getting captured by something else everybody you like is dead so yeah you're good everything is already, everything you like has already been made <laughs> although george lucas is still t- alive i mean um you and, know and maybe there'll be a howard the duck too oh i would uh I wasn't would there a howard that. the duck too <laughs> No, oh, I thought there was. <laughs> now there was a teaser of one of the movies at the end where they sure. had Howard the Duck, but the way the comic, the comic book and the movie are completely different. Yes, they made the comic book more comical, and he was a dirty old duck. <laughs> yeah, yes, cigar, absolutely, cigar smoking duck. I mean, obviously, you probably read the the, the novels of those um, yes. back in the day, and there was the teaser, and you've got. <laughs> <laughs> nice i had it out for you oh yeah wow there's a, there's a real howard the duck nice 
I had that as a kid. Yes. Yes. yes the, the sword and the cigar would both be, uh, you know, removed <laughs> <laughs> if they made a Netflix uh, series. Right. right. So at the end of, I forget, I don't remember which movie it was where they, after the credits, they, they put, um, you know, like the glass broke and Howard the Duck was there. And I was so excited that they're finally going to do Howard the Duck the right way. And it just vanished. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, it was disappointing. I believe it was Guardians of the Galaxy that you could uh, be right. It was the end trailer. But I, I mean, how are they going to do it? I mean, how how would you do Howard? I mean, it's impossible. It's so politically incorrect and so far it is out there and psychedelic inspired and uh, it's from a different era when when uh, again this is what I was going back to, which is you know the '80s is a time I believe of bright darkness. So things were kind of mm you know, gritty and weird and full of sorcery and and, and dark sci-fi like Blade Runner and, and Dune and things like that. But there was also this brightness to it. Like it didn't all look the same. It wasn't all like moody. It, it um, there was a, a range, a palette, if you will, a full, a full spectrum of, uh, of colors and s- cinematography. And even in the writing, you know, like there was, there was tones, there were, were different moments, different scenes, and it wasn't that they were inconsistent or tonally, you know, uh, lacked. It was just that, you know, writers understood that you had to have different emotional moments through a story. Sure. And today, that's, I think that's all been lost. Everything's just gray, blue, black, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all done because of CGI so that they can more easily, you know, do their effects and make you not notice how bad they are. Uh, <laughs> I just, I like the... Um, the old way of doing things, that kind of energy, that kind of style, that kind of attitude, that kind of aggression, the liberation of it, you know, being able to, you know, smoke a cigarette and carry a sword and, you know, not (laughs) have it be a big deal. We've made everything so sanitized. It doesn't help that everything's been corporatized, you know, Disney owns everything. Warner brothers owns everything. Uh, It's just a terrible, a terrible moment. And today's writers don't care about this kind of stuff. You know, they, they don't care about emotional moments. They want to just, they have this thing they want to say, and they're going to just beat you with it through for, you know, two and a half hours. And this is true, even of the Marvel um, cinematic universe, the DCU, it's kind of all the same. Like they're so unabashed in their plagiarism of each other. I think the flash movie is like a multiverse. I haven't seen it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I've kind of given up. Uh, we've given up and yeah. um, I just think there's a chance and an opportunity to offer something that's a little different. If we just take a step back and look at what worked back then, we'll find uh, different ways of telling new stories because right now it's all the same slot, you know, the same corporate mm-hmm. um, goulash and I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. And uh, I had to, re- I had to react. I had to like present something that was full throttle fun and you know something that you you couldn't put down. You had just wanted to see what was going to blow up next. Yeah, right. Gonna happen next. Yeah. Right. Well, and I I appreciate and I uh, low budget movies for the fact of you know people watch it and say I, I could tell that's fake, but I look at it and say, but they only had a million dollars to do all these special effects back in the day. So I appreciate the way they did it on film then, and that's what I love about old movies and old eighties movies. You know, yes, but, you know, I guess I was just a, a silly, naive kid, but I believed everything I saw. Like, I didn't know what a space alien ripping apart a, a human body would look like. But I just, oh, so cool, that, 
you know, like maybe it looks like that. I have no idea. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. No, you're right. And today with all the CGI, it still looks like crap. It looks like a video game. And so I don't know. I'm not sure we've really improved in terms of visual effects. I mean, a lot of, I, mean, I know a few people in visual effects and they, you know, they get mad at me, but I'm just like, this, <laughs> this doesn't look good. I mean, go back, you know, or mix them up or something. And, um, you know, th- let's go back to blood bags and, and, uh, yeah. And, and tops, um, Severo. I'm yes. His name wrong. I mean, he was the master of Savini, low yeah. budget Savini. I'm sorry. I apologize, Tom. Tom Savini. Tom Savini. <laughs> he, he's the master. He was, he was, and he was a legend and he still is of what he could create for low budget. Horror, yes. gore. Yes. Um, and, bring uh, that back. There's a ton of gore in this book. Um, but, you know, gore for me is different than torture. Like, I don't like torture movies or torture sure. narratives. They, they freak me out. But, uh, uh, but as far as like, you know, genetically modified uh swarming flamingos exploding <laughs> in the air. yeah i i totally because it, it has no bearing on reality you know yeah. and that uh, that's why i loved that stuff as a kid i loved uh gory movies i loved um uh, even slasher movies i i totally enjoyed what got weird is in the 90s or early 2000s was the whole torture horror movie that got seemed to go yeah. way out of way out of control I didn't torture, quite, torture porn torture porn torture porn movies i didn't like that as, as yeah. much uh they weren't my jam but some people like them and that's great um but for me it's always about like um you know the fantastic the supernatural you know to me jason and michael myers they weren't really real they were like phantasms or, or yeah. so which is your go-to franchise of of horror uh the go-to like if i'm like my comfort uh <laughs> yeah like between jason or michael or freddie or oh i mean i don't know it's hard to beat the first halloween um but i i also like i'm not gonna lie to you when when uh uh jason fights the psychic girl and whatever uh friday the 13th that is that's that's so hilarious i mean it's it's, it's like <laughs> It's like Carrie versus uh, sure. Jason or, or something. Yeah. It, was, it made no sense, but I will sit down with it and and enjoy it. The remake of The Blob from the 80s, I really like for some reason. I don't know why. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's gross. Right. You don't have to have a reason why. I don't think. Dawn of the, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, something about being trapped in the mall with zombies is yeah. so. Yeah, that's I, one of my top horror movies ever is Dawn of the Dead. I just can't, I can't get over it. Like if I'm depressed, if, you, if I put that on, uh, I'll, I'm ready to, <laughs> to live life again, you know, which makes no sense. But. So, so talking, speaking of all these movies, who, who plays Lash when this thing is a movie? Have you ever, have you ever stopped to think who would, who would be some of the actors in this thing? Yeah. But by the time, it, <laughs> uh, I mean, by the time they get around to looking at considering it, I mean, I don't know. I like the, uh, what is it? Um, they'd ha- all have to lift weights, though. I mean, uh, like Jen- uh, Jenny Ortega, I think would be great. In the, in the wow, league. that's exactly who exactly I said. Who he said. He did. Before we came. Yeah, that's but, exactly you know, what I was thinking of. They'd have to hit the gym really, yeah. really hard, you know, uh, to do a. And that's what I said. I said she'd have to buff up right. a little bit. Right, she could do it. Uh, You'd have to have Ronda Rousey, but she's too old. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm sure there's younger fight. I just don't. Yeah. I don't know them too. I don't watch a lot of uh, that YA uh, stuff, but I'm sure uh, there's the actor in the uh, Blue Beetle. Um, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I haven't Bruna, Bruna something. I don't know. I can't remember their names, but um, 
they're uh they're there's so many i mean it or who's the who's the one that was in west side story help me out mm. oh uh snow white she's gonna be in snow white um i don't that know actor, her name that actor is amazing i don't know uh, her name west side story was amazing um, well, let, let me help you out a little bit when you're looking to cast richter and prof you got <laughs> yeah. i mean i know we're too awesome. old but we'll yeah. you can make us you a, can make up and, makeup yeah yeah no cgi in my mind i was thinking of uh, michelle rodriguez as i'm as i'm writing uh Hammer oh. of the Dogs, you know, um, from Girl Fight, that era, you know. Yeah, sure. Ago. Um, but the, the thing with, with casting is, you know, it, it, I had this image of Michelle Rodriguez, but then as I started writing the character, this other face, it was weird, this other person emerged. Now, I don't know who that is. So every, <laughs> anything I do, anything I suggest is just an approximation. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, it was really important to make the character lash a uh, mixed race, you know, uh, that is um, Hispanic and, and white. I never really um, found a character like that, uh, that really satisfied, uh, you know, the kind of like, what are representation, representational, I don't know, urge needs and that I had, you know, like the closest that the, the, the character who's I most identified with in so many ways was Ralph Macchio and the karate kid. <laughs> Uh, okay. he, he came closest to kind of, you know, representing my experience of kind of being caught between two worlds, yeah. you know, um, the Anglo side and then the, the mm-hmm. ethnic uh, background. So I really was trying to create a character who was different in, in so many ways and couldn't be really pigeonholed or, or placed in a category. And um, that was super important as I was writing this character because... Uh, here at the university I teach at, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, you know, we have the most, really the most diverse student body. Like the sure. kids come from, from, you know, everywhere, you know, I've got Mexican-Americans, Filipino-Americans, you know, just everybody is, and then they're all mixed together and it's, um, it's uh, incredible. So I wanted to like, like pay tribute to sure. my own experience and to the experience of my students with, uh, with Lash, who doesn't really fit conveniently into a box and that's why they speak spanish and spanglish throughout the um the book because that was my experience um you know growing up and uh there's really only like the way i wrote it there's really only like maybe two uh we would call anglo or white characters um but you know richter is is sort of nebulous too in his ethnicity you can't really get a read on it he's sort of like johnny depp is he a pirate is he is he just (laughs) just a dark uh you know uh phantasm what what is going on here and i I, and then gradually he becomes more human and you realize he's just as comfortable as as everybody as we all are so um that that was the goal there so going back to the university of las vegas um, yes. Which is the, the book is set in. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. But the book's set in Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, we mentioned a lot of Luxor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I was a huge fan back in the day of the Running Rebels. I watched. Oh a yeah. Lot. I've watched a lot. I don't know how long you've been teaching there. Oh, and I've only, I've only been a professor here since uh, 2016. So not that oh, long. Okay. Yeah. And was there a graphic novel department when you started? No. <laughs> no one taught the graphic novel. Uh, no one taught you know no one wants to teach the graphic novel it's too um it's too difficult and it's too it's so far outside you know the mainstream academic uh 
experience. And did, um, did you bring it up? Did you bring it on to the, the campus? I did. Or? Oh, okay. I did. Well, that's Great. awesome. How did? How was that journey? Well, it was wonderful. I mean, it's uh, it's funny because when you enter into a English PhD program, it's just assumed, it's understood that you're going to study like what you're supposed to study. You know, mm-hmm. the romantic masterpieces, the the uh, you know the works of realism in American fiction. You know, um, you're going to study um, a British lit from you know Jane, uh, Shakespeare to Jane Austen to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know George Orwell but it's not it's never it's there's never this moment where you can say uh, hey uh, this stuff is fun can am I allowed to read it and write about it yeah. <laughs> like fun is just and pleasure is so removed from the uh, you know the humanities uh, and English departments in particular that you know it's it's just people don't even think to to raise their hand and say you know um, hey, let's make something, let's make something fun here. Sure. And so the novel Hammer of the Dogs is my attempt to kind of like introduce that graphic novel aesthetic or energy or pleasure into, um, you know, literary prose. And I, I don't want to say that n- graphic novels or, or comics are always art. Like there's a lot of junk, like everything else. Right. But there are some works within that uh, medium that are just, um undeniable you know watchman is a masterpiece you know oh. dark Knight returns by frank miller is a masterpiece um you know mouse sin, sin city sin city is a masterpiece um you know there's these these books that you can't you read them and you're changed you know i would say the crow by uh okay james obar is a is a masterpiece um and the movie's good too but the the book is even better the, the comic and so for, for me it's about trying to introduce things that are fun to students so that they'll want to become English majors. They'll want to pursue their degrees. They'll want to write about these things, think about these things and think more deeply about what the the whole enterprise involves. To me, you know, I'm not teaching comic books so that my students will be cool at dinner parties or you know, <laughs> have something interesting to talk about at the bar. Like I'm doing this so that they'll explore like their own identities, their own, you know, paths, their own heroic journeys, whatever you want to call it. Because I, everything that I value now as an adult is stuff that I, um, I learned from comics, you know, like, you know, these are aspirational models to a degree, you know, the journey of, of Conan, the barbarian to King Conan, there's a a huge lesson in there, which is that if you stick to, uh, you know, a project like, you know, power or, um you know leadership yeah you you if you stick with it you are rewarded and if you play it smart make good decisions and honor your friends and family you can achieve these things to me there's a lesson there uh this is what i want my students to think about you you can't always be like the crow (laughs) you know wasting everybody and burning everything down i mean that that leads to what the end of the crow is which is a, a suicide mission yeah yeah, oh. it's, it's in the book. I mean, sure, I, I don't, I know it, but I've never read it. You're left on that final page of the crow, wondering was he dead all along, or was he? Mm. What was the point of this? He was. Did he do this simply to reunite with his um, uh, dead fiance? Why? Why did we go on this journey? So I want my students to think about these things. Yeah. Okay. Because if you don't, if you don't think about your life as a story, 
you turn into like a chaos monster. And I think that's kind of like the spiritual crisis we're suffering at the moment uh, as a country with, um, you know, uh, mass shootings and just terrible behavior and the crime rampant and spreading everywhere. I mean, we've lost the story. So people see no hope in their lives because they can't see the, the beats. They don't see the set pieces. They don't see, they don't have any real useful or rewarding pleasure the pleasures they do know are like ridiculous and destructive yeah i guess that's the other thing that too that i'm trying to get my students to think about which is that you know to seek pleasure in things that um make them better and make them stronger not these kinds of you know you know heroin is pleasurable but you know nobody should shoot it it's because it's destructive (laughs) right yeah. Yeah. But but Howard the Duck is better than heroin. If you... <laughs> Love that we keep going back to Howard the Duck. If you know how to if you know how to approach it right, you know, for me. Because <laughs> I love thinking about these things, you know, other dimensions. Um, I love thinking about Howard's plight, you know, that famous line from the comic book trapped in a world he never made. I mean, mm. that's sort of the existential human condition. We're all caught in these existences that we had no decision in, you know. Yeah. So now what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And I feel so, like, did I, did I read almost that exact line somewhere in the book? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like that was, I don't know who said it or fun a different way. But... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's my homage. Tip of the hat. Yeah. It's my, uh, my nod to um, Howard the duck. And, you know, it, it seems like a silly throwaway piece of pop culture, but if you just examine it, it's, it's a deep and thoughtful story. And that's why I disagree with this idea that the 80s were this surface superficial. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of the 80s that was trash and right. nonsense and ridiculous. But there was also all these great things that, you know, we're wearing the, we're wearing the shirts and the, and the gear from, <laughs> uh, you know, and we do that for a reason because the message and the mythology of it is, yes, is enduring. I'm like, look, you went back to the 70s. Yes. 60s. <laughs> now, Howard the Duck, I thought it was from the late 70s. Am I wrong? No, no, it's it's the early 80s. Okay, it's the early... comic book is? Oh, I'm sorry, yes. The, the comic is from the 70s. The movie's from the early 80s. Yeah. Yes. It goes all the way back, really. The the idea for Howard uh, goes back to the you know counterculture. And um, he's sort of like a really edgy countercultural take on, you know, uh, Daffy Duck or whatever. <laughs> sure, right. sure. Nice. You know, we're going to get him smoking cigars and, and wielding <laughs> swords and and uh doing all having all kinds of crazy journeys you're running for president you know uh, saving the president from assassination etc it's it takes you on a tour of the 70s the comic book does it's unforgettable and and uh, as as, you know i think every child or it experiments with comic books at some point and i was never into the spider-mans and supermans and batman my brother was but i howard the duck was one of them that i i would buy Sergeant Rock was a big one for me when I was a yes. kid. He was huge. Um, Black Panther was a big one for me. Um, where am I going with this? I don't know. I don't well, know. Let's let's also think about those those uh, icons of popular culture, and then think about just uh, from the other whatever you want to call it gender. Okay. Uh, Strawberry Shortcake, which I reference in the in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Rainbow Bright. Uh, My Little Pony, all the stuff that you, the three of us probably, you know, were like, uh, whatever. But that stuff was powerful. Gem and the holograms. It was powerful, yeah. Yeah. 
uh she-ra princess of power we didn't watch that stuff but you know i've got all that all those theme songs in my head and yeah. I've got, i know what the toys look like i didn't own any of the toys but i saw the commercials on tv over and over these are powerful images that um you know that young that girls enjoyed and loved and grew up with and and now you know it's almost like that stuff is like bad or something or we have to like make, make it all uh super feminist or something it doesn't yeah. it, it offered us pleasure when we were young and i think we're forgetting that and we're having to you know um the barbie movie i think the great example is like it's so successful because people are so hungry for that yeah. stuff yeah and it brings but, it back to to what we're talking about i think the, yes. their childhood and their memories of of just having clean fun or just yes fun of no, no thinking yeah yeah for sure and it, but I mean, I will say it, it was it was thoughtless fun. But it, if you looked at it, even just if you scratched it a little bit, you'd find like layers of stuff in there, like um, the evil Knievel doll that I grew up with. You know, like that that is a, a doll favorite that, toy ever. <laughs> that's a doll that is tr- tapped into the whole seventies mythology of you know masculinity and showmanship and daredevilry, and you know that's a whole world in and of itself, and. I think that we need to go back to that a little bit and and consider why those things were so powerful. Because today we have nothing like it. It's all YouTubed and social media massaged and digitally, um, you know, polished. And it doesn't it doesn't hit the same way. And if we just take a step back and look at what worked and bring it to bear on with all this technology, we can create new and exciting stories and characters. But nobody seems willing to do it so i'm throwing hammer of the dogs down you're doing it you're doing it i'm gonna say you certainly have and i hope everybody goes out there and and buys it and i'm gonna tell you uh, for you and for us because i feel a little selfish because i feel like when this thing is the next hunger games we have this fancy copy here (laughs) that probably not a lot of people have and yeah you get the sensor i don't know why they put that sticker on her like (laughs) i know why they put the sticker on her like that but anyway i'm gonna send you guys some uh the the final version which is uh without the sticker uh, blocking the view. Awesome. The good view. Um, What would be amazing, and we do appreciate that, we'd love if you sign it and we will put it out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Next to our other author. Another author, yeah. Yeah, That would be awesome. Yeah, one other author. (laughs) Yeah, we don't don't talk with a lot of authors. I don't think people think we're smart enough to talk with authors, but I think we've proved it. Well, we're not. We're not. Okay, <laughs> I was about to say we proved ourselves, but we're not we're not smart enough to talk to a PhD, but we do anyways. Yeah. With Doctor Keen, yeah, I like I like it next to that uh, liquor bottle. Is that uh, what is, you bet? That, yeah, that's, a, that that's a nice bottle of vodka with a message that runs by. This was some some friends of ours when we started this thing. Oh, can, great! So I don't know. I don't know if it's oh. working. Oh, there you go. It takes a it takes a second. Oh, look at that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it says something. It about, says our name. Yeah. So we have it was it was a gift. Um, congrats on the starting the podcast and it. Oh, great! Dipples in the beer. Oh, it did, it shut off. I it don't did know. already. Yeah, maybe the battery. <laughs> oh, there it is. The battery's running out. There we go. Yes. Oh, that's nice. That's it's it's that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. Well, and it's funny because when we started this thing and when we got that bottle five or ten episodes in, we never thought we'd be talking to. You know, authors and, and PhD. PhDs and all this good stuff. We were we're thrilled and honored that you uh, wanted to come and talk to your talk to us about your book because we're lucky enough to get to to get to read it and it's great and I hope everybody does. It, it, yes, it, and we're not. I don't think 
were bullshitting by saying we really enjoyed it yeah, and no. it kept my interest and I don't read a lot of books. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. For, uh, thank you for reading it. Yeah. So yeah. I did want to, I did want to touch on one thing because we touched on the hunger games before. Oh yes. You seem sorry, but so I was just going to ask you because I love the movie and I don't know if you ever saw it. Royal uh, battle Royale. Yes. Oh, you do know that movie. Okay. That's the book. Well, I read the book uh, in the '90s when it, the first translation that came out, and uh, you know, I found it in Barnes Noble. I was like, "What is this? This looks deadly. This looks dangerous." Right. And then I read the book, and it, it was like a it was a total nightmare adventure saga, and I couldn't stop reading it. Um, and I wanted to bring Hammer of the Dogs more into. The, I wanted to bring YA dystopian fiction more into that yes. direction. Then, you know, Hunger Games, uh, as wonderful as, as it is, and many people find it to be so, I, I, I I'm prefer Battle Royale. I like that harder. Yes. Darker. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, it's, it's a story that um, when you read through it, it's, it, it's not nihilistic. It's not, you know, there's a, there is a moral center to, to it. It's just, it's kind of warning us about what, you know, what could lie ahead if we let it you know, which is this voyeuristic tech driven, mm-hmm. you know, nightmare that everyone se- is, everyone seems blindly headed toward. And uh, I don't like it, but I love reading a book like that. It makes me think and takes me on a dark thrill ride. Yeah. That's, that's what I love. Well, with battle Royale and yes, the movie, well, there's two films really right, right? live action and then the uh the animated feature oh i don't uh, know the animated i i know there's a battle royale and a battle royale too I, which i've got both yes but, there's also um, a manga okay yeah. but it was a novel first that and i knew i don't i've not read it but it's well it doesn't it doesn't matter what format you put it in it's sure. the same story uh, that sure. i i see what i've found but it's so powerful and so it changed i believe uh dystopian ya uh fiction kids in mm-hmm. the 90s found it it was a cult sensation and that the sensation that grew the the audience that grew around that book was more natural and organic i feel in many ways than the hunger games phenomenon which seemed astroturf by uh you know a rip, a rip off of the hunger of yeah plus the, it had more it had a lot of marketing behind it like i i was yes. encountering hunger games merchandise and uh just walking through the mall like you'd look through in a window of a shop like what was it a uh, hot topic or something <laughs> sure and they'd be like hunger games i was like what is hunger games like yeah. and it kind of it, it worked it was like what's hunger games i gotta find out what what this is it had a it had a multi-million dollar campaign budget marketing behind it and um but that was not the case with battle royale that was more of an organic yes. uh, so i have a lot more respect for that um franchise where you want to call it ip or whatever but um i do think that uh i would love to teach battle royale oh. in my classroom but again you know there have to be a lot of trigger warnings and all that. <laughs> there, there would be yes it's yes. insanely it's insanely violent but Hammer of the Dogs, uh, the end there with a genetically modified flamingo swarm massacre. That that's my <laughs> way of like you know, tipping my hat to uh, Battle Royale, the Japanese uh, novel. Perfect, nice, one of my yeah. favorites. Nice. I I've I've come out of this with like so much stuff I have to watch. So because <laughs> I am not the kind of sewer like this guy is. I'm I'm on the fringes. So I'm like, wow. I, I did see Howard the Duck when I was a kid. But, yeah. Okay. I'm but impressed. I don't remember it. So I will be watching again. 
and uh, this Battle Royale, I definitely have to check out. Yeah, Secret of Nim was a gr- was a great film that I that I loved growing up. Heavy Metal, the animated. Yeah. Um, oh, the yeah. Fire and Ice, the animated Ralph Bakshi uh, film. Um, these are all these Watership Down, which I saw on TV, and it freaked me out. <laughs> these are all you know touchstones in my life and many other lives. I just I think we got to go back and start making uh, gritty bright yeah. yet gritty stories like that yeah know, and get rid of this uh pixar crap because it's uh it's soft <laughs> it's <too> soft <laughs> soft fluffy amen to that well and that's why i love battle royale because it, it it touched on the wait these are kids you can't do that to kids right and then right. they did yeah but because you can do it to, you know it, it it would happen to them so i'm with you on the, the grittiness the book you guys if you, i'm sure you read it as kids i read it as a kid the long walk by stephen king it's that um murder uh uh death march uh dystopian um novel where the high school kids they compete mm-hmm. on a on a reality tv show this is written in the 70s on a reality show to to keep walking until they stop and if they stop they're shot by uh uh government troops so and whoever is left standing gets uh like a million dollars at the end of the of the walk i know oh, i did not read it no I, I you guys got a fun book. I was gonna say I have a a bunch of Stephen King on my right. bookshelves at home, and I don't even know if I've even heard of that. It's a novella. It's a short novel. It okay. was okay. first. I think he wrote it. He might have written it under the Bachman name. You know. Okay. But, yep. Uh, and then there's of course there's there's the, there's a novel we're not allowed to talk about, or it's, he refuses to let let it be reprinted, which is Rage, which is like a school shooter um, hmm. uh, novella. Oh wow. Well, I believe that's in the Bachman books, but you have to get an early edition to read it. Wow. But my point is, like, this is the stuff I grew up reading as a ten-year-old. Yeah. I think about what ten-year-olds are forced to watch today, and it's just, <laughs> like this. Right. You know, we're not preparing them for for anything. Reality. It's just this is this fluffy yeah. uh, garbage, and I, I, it all looks the same. It all looks like it's animated by the same, you know, people. Yeah. Um, I just want to see different stories out there, and um, and not be afraid to, uh, you know, to to offer dreams and nightmares because um, you know that's that's what life is uh, about. Unfortunately, right. well, I think the other side of that is as a author and as a playwright or as a storyteller in any form, as you were saying before, it just writes itself. So you yeah. go one direction, but they're. But culture is telling you, well, no, you you can't say that anymore. You see? But you that's where my story is telling me to go. Right. How do you, how do you fight that? I just stop caring, you know. Good. And you you have to. You can't, it's the best answer ever. I'm not writing for you know the sensitivity for the for the. I'm not writing so that to make to comfort people or to make everybody really i mean i want people to be thrilled and have a good time and smile right but i'm not there to like coddle them and make them feel good about themselves and it's going to be okay if we just believe in ourselves you know and love each other and you know that's bull that's bs that doesn't doesn't work it's not real and i think we're doing a disservice by pushing this message on on kids especially this you know it's all corporate stuff that right i feel like that movie they live, you know, like I'm putting on those glasses. Yeah, them off and then I put them back on. I see, oh my god, what what are they really telling us here? Which is just <laughs> consume garbage, eat garbage, uh, you know, and obey. Yeah, just just now. Funny story, I, real quick, is this month they are re-releasing that in theaters. 
yeah. they live so you can see it in the big screen. Yeah, I've got tickets. It's tomorrow night, right? I've got tickets. For oh, wow. Is that tomorrow night already? Yeah, it's Good tomorrow. Good for you. Yeah, so I'm taking the family to see They Live. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a classic. It's, it is. It's an awesome, and I love John Carpenter. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, my sons love John Carpenter. They love that movie, The Thing. Yeah. Oh, um, one of the best horror movies ever. Yeah, and all of those effects. And they get mad at me, like, shut up, Dad. You know, I'm like, this this is all before CGI. This, you know. <laughs> They had to build this stuff. <laughs> exactly what I was saying before. Absolutely. You appreciate what they did. And it freaked me out when I saw it as a child. And, uh, you know, uh, I just think that's the stuff I grew up with. Not Pixar, not uh, DreamWorks. Not, you know, to yeah. me, we have to go back to that. If we're, if this new generation is going to have a chance, if, they're just going to get brainwashed by this stuff. It's it, To me, it's super terrifying. I don't want to go on about it, but. You know, I just think we need to find um, other stories to tell and not not the same. They think they're telling different stories, but they're really not. These yeah. corporations, they're just telling the same soft, fluffy, cotton candy crap, you know. Yeah, between, between that and AI, we're fucked. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it already this, seems written by AI, doesn't yeah, it? I was going to say, it's a result of AI already, isn't it? Um, I feel like every movie I've seen in the last 10 years has been AI generated. Chat GPT wrote the script. I mean... <laughs> why why are you giving me this this rehash sorry i'm i'm lecture rant done <laughs> that's okay I'll, um i just wanted to ask about um so how many children do you have and what are their age ages i've got two boys 17 and 15 and they okay. love john carpenter and they love uh but they're you know they're also hardcore gamers and, right but i say that and they just played tennis in the las vegas heat for two hours which is something i never did as a child so Ooh. i might be uh yeah, they're they've they they're vast. They contain multitudes. Yeah, so they do a lot well, of different things. Well, and I was gonna say is you know because my my children are older and they gave me the roll in the eyes when I would show them these movies oh. and they would no I don't want to watch it and then ten minutes in they're glued and they love it but then yeah. you see it later on they reflect on it and they're they're like um, hey I watched what by themselves mm-hmm. that you expose them to later so it, it just comes around and you it's a huge influence and. They have it this thing called going. flashback cinema, you know, like in the movie theater down the street. And I told my 15 year old, Hey, Goonies is playing. They're like, let's go. Yeah. Yes. You know, like, and I've seen Goonies maybe 500 times. I don't need to see it again, but if I can just sit in a theater with him and have, you know, watch him smile, listen to him crack jokes with me. And, you know, it's totally worth it. And if yes. you're, if your teenager wants to hang out with you, you're doing it. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right. I, had, I had to do it. Like I'm, I'm going to go see Goonies. I'll see a thousand more times with you. If you'll, if you'll let me. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So, um, but, but we're kind of touching it before about being in Las Vegas. We've had a filmmaker on from Vegas. We've had an, um, an actor and a filmmaker, um, that we interviewed yeah yeah who did um the movie kindred kindred kin dread his name is adrian leon he's yeah he's a filmmaker out of vegas oh, okay and, yeah and he, yeah, he filmed it there and, and produced it so it's an yeah. member <laughs> well didn't mark Wahlberg move here or something there was there was something uh mark Wahlberg was going to move to vegas and start a, a movie oh. production company so oh, i don't right. know if it's going to be incredible it, it seems like a lot more movies are popping up in vegas and they're going there to film them and independently just to get away from california and and the bullshit that's there Um, i can't believe there's anyone still there i can't believe there isn't at this moment a a giant las vegas film push because 
uh, yeah, California's got so many, you know, challenges. Yeah, right. Uh, I got to meet. Movies. I got to meet Gary Nelson, the director of The Black Hole uh, from the late 70s. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is a film that I reference in the. (laughs) (laughs) It was a science fiction film that scared the hell out of me. And Gary Nelson was a director. He he lived here until he, uh, I guess, until he died last year. Okay. Interview him for a magazine here in town and and chat about uh, that movie and the others that he did, like Freaky Friday and. he, he had a he had a heck of a career yeah yeah um, and black black hole was a great movie i think back to your point it it, it could have been they could have cut out some areas yes it's a better movie i agree it, right i mean it, it kind of dragged and it was a little but it was a it was a good movie it's unforgettable if you saw it as a kid like maximilian the red robot with the the whirring blade mm-hmm. uh, was super scary and uh that's where i got the idea for the red angels you know they're kind of like flying red okay uh, robots so for me uh, a movie like the black hole yeah it was a it was not a box office smash it might have been a critical and commercial failure but uh i loved it and that's all that matters you know (laughs) right right i I agree there's so many movies i love and people around me hate but i don't care (laughs) like me like you only john wayne critical critical (laughs) hated and whatever and i'm like I can love this movie. And the black hole had an impact. I mean, it was a, I think it was a lot of buildup to it when it came out. Cause it was, this, it was hyped. It was so hyped special effects and it was great special effects for the time, but yeah, again, it was a Disney no movie. They had, yeah. They had a lot of uh, marketing money to burn and they wanted their own star Wars. It just, they got this weird, bizarre, right. dark space Western instead that didn't really, uh, <laughs> didn't really, they didn't have a Luke, a pretty Luke, Luke Skywalker. Or, right. Or like a pirate Han Solo. They had these old actors from Westerns. That, like Ernest Bornine. <laughs> so, they, so they brought in classic actors. But <laughs> yeah. it didn't translate to the younger crowd. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I remember watching it as a kid. Going, These guys are old. But it's kind of cool. I'm going to keep watching. <laughs> right, right. Because everything around it was cool. And then they threw in a an alien or a android. You know, just yeah, to be a robot. robot. Just to be whatever. Yeah, R2-D2 knockoff. And uh, they, I guess they figured Roy Scheider was, you know, he carried Jaws. Why can't these old guys carry uh, the black hole? So they didn't have like a, a handsome space warrior and princess. And uh, I love Roy Scheider. I, I, I yeah. love his movies. Most yeah. of it. Most of his movies. <laughs> oh, no, I will get down with Blue Thunder. I mean, I, I love. Uh, yes, that that's a great movie. Which is weird because I hate helicopters when they fly over my house and uh, spotlight, <laughs> and they spotlight me. But... <laughs> Not but, sure when they spotlight me. <laughs> well, that was a badass movie when it came out. Oh, it was, it was amazing. And um, but again, not a, a movie that anyone remembers or celebrated. But uh, to me, it was super, super important. And um, I loved every you know Battlestar Galactica on in, on TV. I, I loved everything cheesy and Night Rider. I loved all that stuff yeah. the yeah. cheesier the the better and um and i know, and I, just this weekend i bought red sanja yes i just i just bought that this weekend i've, I, I've not no, seen it since the 80s uh you know i think arnold still makes fun of it today like he just thinks it's just uh, garbage but to me it was uh he's in the movie so it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right right <laughs> why are you complaining you're in this film where you've got a sword a, a loincloth right and, Clobbering dragons. I mean, what what is the problem? This is a dream. 
You're living the dream. This is the dream. The never-ending story. Splash. You know, what, what happened to these movies? Like, There's no movies like this today. Take me back. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> so you need to you need to keep writing stories. Yes. Bring us back to that era. And we yes. appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. Hopefully this will sell and I'll, I'll bring you some more. <laughs> we would love it. Yeah. We would tell, love it. Tell them where to find you and where to find the book and all that good stuff. Oh, it's everywhere, but you can get it most easily, uh, obviously, via um, uh, your local Barnes and Noble or just at, uh, if you don't feel like hitting the bookstore, you can always order it online. But try to use your independent bookstore if possible. But again, the Amazon is always an option. But It's um, a last resort. Oh, I did a I did an audio book, so you can listen to it um, on oh. Audible this week. Okay. Did you? Are you the reader of it? Yes, and I use my best uh sexy batman voice it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be an amazing experience wait can we get a sample of the voice before you go no 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 i'm not teasing okay all right all right i'm not teasing i um i did thank you for bringing that up because i uh, my last question i i could talk to you for a long time you, you this has been a fun fun for me yeah yeah uh, you know i'm i'm enjoying what we're talking about but i do yeah did, you, 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 you two darken out is awesome <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I love it. This is like an education by fire for me when we do episodes like this. So, <laughs> uh, um, I have a note, and I just I completely forgot because we just go off. But uh, when you read the book, I thought I saw someone in the studio. With is it just you, or is there other people playing characters within the book with the no. audio book? Just you. It's just me, and I did not do the funny voices. And I'm uh, maybe I should have, but I always get. I cringe out when I hear a, a voice actor attempting like a, a woman's voice or like a bad guy voice. It just, so I just, I just read it straight through as like a dramatic reading of the book. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to like, there's less acting, but a lot of performance. So okay. yeah. it, you know, I don't want to present a book um, with goofy voices because I'm not trained in, in that way. And also you know, there's so many sentences in the book that are peculiar to my mind that I knew that a voice actor would have trouble performing. Okay. So, yeah. You know, you, if, unless the, unless the voice actor is, has seen adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the eighth dimension, he's not going to catch, <laughs> you know, the humor. of the <laughs> Another misunderstood classic. Yes. <laughs> you know, Unless they've seen all the RoboCop films, they probably won't get this joke that, <laughs> that I'm trying. So I just wanted to, you know, I had to have control ultimately, and uh, I feel good about it. They put some a little special effects, a little just a little digital, okay. you know, machine to give it, um, you know, get out all the the weakness, make it make it strong, make it sure. perform nice. Well, so I got I'm, I got some available Audible credits. I'll use. I'll, I'll be using one. One hundred percent. I want to hear it in my head. I'm like, <laughs> I read it. But now I want to hear yeah, it, and I yeah. totally want to listen to it as well. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to get. I actually wrote like a whole uh, a heavy metal album to go with the book, but it just there was no way to like incorporate it that could meet Audible's uh, standards, you know. So I, I'm just like, whatever. I'm not gonna spend an extra grand plugging <laughs> in guitar riffs, <laughs> read it all the way through. So, uh, but the next time I do this, uh, I'm gonna include some riffs for the you know the trilogy the audible trilogy of, yeah lots of perfect guitar. yeah nice nice do you play guitar i did i do i did more seriously as a high schooler and college kid yeah i, 
I know we've gone really long and I don't want to keep you any longer than you want to be, but I did, you, you wrote a biography for the band, the killers, right? Yes. And I wonder how that came to be. How did you, how'd you get hooked up with them? And well, I showed up in Las Vegas and immediately fell in with the, this group of musicians and they were all young and not that ambitious. So I didn't take it that seriously. And I was playing bass guitar in their band and this band would eventually, you know, transform into what became the Killers. So I oh, oh. was playing with uh, the drummer um, in a band, um, I believe that was called uh, Romance Fantasy. But and then it changed members. And then Brandon Flowers uh, was a kid in the scene, very young guy in the scene. And then uh, I kind of stepped away to start uh, writing for the magazines and newspapers here in town try to make money because they're going nowhere (laughs) yeah i swear like six months later they were on the cover of uh you know spin magazine or whatever um with that fantastic uh first record but that was i wrote that as kind of like a clip job because i was covering the band as they ascended through the bars and into the club uh, arenas clubs Um, okay they did a tour of, of england that that really expose them to a bigger audience and got some attention. And so I had all these stories that I had already written. So I just kind of like assembled them into a book and was able to write the first biography, unauthorized biography of the killers. Uh, I think they only had one or two albums out at the time, but it was, it was a, I mean, it took off. They were, they had a, 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 just a furious fan base. They loved, they picked up anything they could find. And that book was, was one of them and i i still get royalty checks to this day from oh that book that's you know 15 years old um, wow oh that old wow yeah that's uh, amazing again they only had two albums out maybe just one but they their rise was so meteoric meteoric they were so hot they were so in demand they were that, yeah um you know i pitched a book to a publisher publisher and the publisher was like yeah we will put this out right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, don't, we, don't care. Out, yeah. we don't care what it says or if it's true we're just gonna put it out yeah no it was all mostly i mean i didn't write no, fiction but it was like i had unpublished photos as well that had never seen the light of a this. lot of photos yeah that was fun to throw in there and um it was just it was interesting i'd never done a book like that like a quickie book for money i wanted to see what what happened and uh it was you know uh it was fun it was interesting everything in las vegas is fun and interesting you just have to be careful that you don't let the fun and excitement get on top of you because then you you know it crushes you because vegas is a little unforgiving in that way it certainly can can be, be. Yeah. My, my my oldest daughter loves the killers still yes. to this day she still does wow yeah she... yeah they, well, i mean if you think about it there's sort of like the last uh like not wholesome but they're they're like the last it's pure rock pure rock they're like ccr and that doesn't make any sense but you know what i mean they're like a band that everybody can support yeah. get behind they don't really have any super annoying quirks you know <laughs> motley crew hey, <laughs> yeah hey, hey, I love yeah <laughs> there's no there's no gene simmons in the band right, there we go there <laughs> we go <laughs> there we gene go. simmons i i saw all the time here in las vegas i love interviewing him yeah he was oh, so yeah. gracious and um, so much fun to be around. And like he'd steal my tape recorder and drop it down his pants, and <laughs> and I didn't care because it was you know, Gene he Simmons. Right? He was good nature. He was good natured about it. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like aggressive. It was just you know he he was bored sometimes with with being interviewed, and so he wanted to 
silly fun. Yeah, silly fun. And yeah, he's a silly guy. Yeah, always appreciated that uh, about him. And uh, even Motley Crue, uh, Motley Crue was fun. Def Leppard. Um, I got a chance to interview all of these legends um, as a. We music didn't even fan. touch in your your CD reviews and your your yeah. rock reviews and all that stuff. Band profiles, artist profiles. I loved writing that stuff. I loved meeting these heroes from my childhood. You know, I bet because they all have to do residencies on the strip in Las Vegas. And so eventually I, me and a few other journalists would have to interview them. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> I did I did not get to interview GNR. That would have been fun, but I, uh, they were way too big still. They were too, yeah. they didn't need any uh, coverage to sell booth <laughs> tickets. You know, as soon as those tickets go on sale, bam, that's gone. They're done. Was there anybody in there that you're like, I, I'm, I'm giddy to re- talk to? Yeah. I mean, Def Leppard. Wow. Awful. You know, Joe Elliott and, um, you know, Phil Collins. I mean, they were just all great. They were the the heroes of my youth. So um, there were some artists like I, I wasn't that familiar with, you know, for example, um, like, you know, Buckethead or something like that. I don't know what that is. It's, sure. Uh, I, I think I got real serious about my studies for a moment. And it's like I didn't, wasn't paying attention uh, to some of these uh, musicians. But there are some musicians that I just... I don't, I don't really know who they are. Alice Cooper was huge. Mm-hmm. That was a great moment. Um, I said CCR. John Fogarty was wonderful to interview. Oh, oh yeah, that would have been, been great. And uh, just total legends. You know, yeah. uh, I'm glad I got to interview them before it was too late. Sure. Uh, Lemmy was another great interview. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. God, he would have been awesome. Was they, it, so going back to what you're saying, there's a couple of them that you didn't know who they were. But then you interviewed them and you're like, now I want to listen to their music that you now are in love with. Oh, yeah, that, that, that that's happened quite a few times, but not from obviously music from my era. It was like music just when I was in my 20s that I didn't pay attention to. Like right, I, right. Yeah. I'd gotten married and whatever, you know, doing my stuff, getting jobs. And so I, it became less important. But, um, you know, bands like anyone who is an artist like a like a in a rock band i totally admire but when you first listen to the music you're like that's kind of junk but then you get into it and you and you kind of grows on you that's mm-hmm. that's, that's life-changing yeah. and uh, i wish you know less claypool that was a guy i never really understood i didn't understand primus yeah. even though i really should have because uh, i think they came out my senior year of high school and I should have paid attention. I don't know what that was about. It was, it seemed kind of annoying, like a cartoon band. Hmm. But when I started listening to the music, there's depth here, there's layers here, there's musicianship galore. This stuff is incredible. So that was a real uh, life, you know, life changing moment interviewing him and learning about his work. Okay. Wow. The worlds you can open up with, with uh, digging into stuff. Right. It's amazing. Don't tell yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I cool. said it before, and I, I'll say it again. I, we, we could bullshit for, for, an, yeah, yeah. for another hour, but we, we, you know, thank you for spending time with us. We don't want to keep you too long. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking a moment and chatting with me about all this fun stuff. So, I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Yeah, well, it's you been a blast for sure. Yeah, keep writing, keep writing, oh, and we'll, yeah. we'll keep talking. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll keep writing. You guys keep doing this great podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I well, appreciate it. Pleasure meeting you. Have a good night. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. 
The tavern is closed for now, but we'd love to have you back for more fun next time. Seriously, though, get your asses out of here. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Electric Cast. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric Acid.